Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to another segment here on GEMS Podcast. With me today is Dr. Toby Travis, and him and I will be spending some time talking about how do we build trust with and throughout leadership, what does that look like, and et cetera, because trust is something that we can easily gain, but we could also easily break trust. So we want to make sure that we are doing it correctly and both sides feel like there is a level of trust. But before we jump into there, I definitely want to give you some background on who Dr. Toby Travis is. So Dr. Travis is the founder of Trusted Ed, a framework for business, organization, and school improvement focus on developing trusted leaders. In addition, he is an executive consultant with the Global School Consulting Group, an adjunct professor for the International Graduate Program of Educators for the State University of New York College at Buffalo, and an experienced teacher and school administrator, currently serving as the superintendent of the Village Christian Academy in Fayetteville, North Carolina. As a guest speaker, trainer, and consultant, his work has taken him through the United States and Europe, South Asia, Central, and South America. Dr. Travis is the author of the award-winning book, Trusted Ed, The Bridge to School Improvement, which is available on Amazon. It's been featured in Forbes and named Book of the Month for November and nominated Book of the Year 2021 by The Magic Pen. And we can learn more by going to www.trustededconsulting.org. So without further ado, let's welcome the guest of of this 30-minute segment, Dr. Dr. Travis. Hi, Genesis. Hi, Dr. Travis. I am super excited to talk to you because you definitely have a multifaceted and versatile background with lots of wisdom to share. But before we jump into the work that you're doing around trust and how you're helping people navigate it, I want to give you a chance to connect with the audience in a fun and personal manner. So there are two options. We could do an icebreaker or a rapid fire 10 question game. What are you in the mood for? Oh, let's let's go rapid fire. Okie dokie. So we're playing rapid fire with Dr. Toby and Genesis. Do, 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 do. Question number one, out of all the places you've traveled to, what has been your most impactful trip? Oh, Ecuador. Question two, favorite color? Uh, green. Question three, if you could recreate or relive any significant moment in your life, what would it be? Oh, wow. Um, uh, spending time with my grandfather. Question four, what is one piece of advice you wish someone would have told you early on in life? Make decisions slowly. Question five, you get three random acts of kindness per day for you to do for someone else. What are your three for today? Acts of kindness? Oh, um, um, buy somebody's groceries, uh, fill somebody's gas tank, uh, and um, uh, do the dishes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. Question five. I know you are married. So what is one piece of advice that you would give to someone who is either thinking about marriage in the beginning stage or they're a novice, but they just need to keep those flames going? Um, always date your wife. Yes, I agree with that. Question uh, for question six, right? Keep me honest here. <laughs> question six. So if you could have lunch or dinner with any person, past or present, Dr. Toby, who would it be? Ooh, just one? Um, <laughs> oh, uh, well, Jesus, um, Abe Lincoln. Can I get one more? Uh, sure. uh, Jim Collins wrote Good to Great. I'd love to have a conversation with Collins. Question seven. As an author, what was the easiest piece of your book to write and what was the hardest? So two part there. Um, well, easiest part actually was um, uh, a lot of the illustrations because they just come straight out of life and experience. Uh, so that, that was probably the easiest. The hardest is working with the editors, <laughs> you know, because they're brutal and you realize, boy, I thought I was a good writer. But, uh, but you, are, you become very thankful and appreciative to professional editors. And uh, so that, it's probably the hardest because it's humbling, but it sure made the book a lot a lot faster and better read. Question eight, what's a wild card factor about yourself that makes you uniquely you that maybe not even some of your closest friends know? <laughs> well, in my, in my uh, youth and young adult years, I had a show business career. And I think there are so many transferable skills that I learned uh, from scripting and staging and blocking and, and all of that, that have transferred into leadership skills. Question nine, what led you into the education space? Teachers. Teachers. And the modeling of, of, uh, and the impact that teachers had on me. Yeah. And question 10, it's our pass or play question and here are the rules. If you pass, our roles are reversed and you get to ask me a question. If you choose to play, I ask one last question to wrap up rapid fire. So do you want to pass or play? Oh, let's play. Okay, last question. I, I know you work at a Christian school. So based on whether you're religious or spiritual, do you have a favorite scripture? Oh, I have lots of them, but Psalm 33, 3. Uh, sing to the Lord a new song uh, and uh, play joyfully and skillfully. Amazing. And thank you for playing rapid fire, Dr. Toby. So let's dive into the work that you're doing around trust. Why is trust so important to you? And how can leaders do a better job gaining trust as well as maintaining trust with the people that they're leading? Well, of course, anecdotally, we all know it's important, right? We, we all know this is key. What really has driven um, me, well, first of all, was experience um, coming into um, the education world and working in a school years ago, I was really surprised, maybe I was naive, uh, of how toxic uh, the work environment was between teachers and administrators. And I'm like, oh my goodness, aren't we all here for the kids? You know, aren't we all here for, you know, for, for what's best in learning? And, and I just saw, right, just all of these um, 
these work environment issues going on that were really grounded in, in a lack of trust. And it went both directions. So, so that kind of personal experience. And then at the same time, as I was pursuing my doctoral um, degree, I'm like, well, let's dive into this, see if we can figure out, you know, answers to this. And, and I won't bore you with all the, the literature, the research genesis, but it really comes down to this. So this is what the, the research shows us is the number one indicator of successful schools, and it goes beyond schools, but my research was specifically in the education sector. The number one indicator of school success is trusted leadership. And what really gets fascinating as you dive into the literature is it doesn't seem to matter how we measure or define success. So if we define success as student achievement, the number one indicator of the highest levels of student achievement are trusted leaders in the school. When you look at retention rates, and this has application immediately to the business sector as well, what's the number one indicator of high levels of retention of quality um, employees? Leadership, making sure that the employees are feeling um, seen as well as heard, and they feel like they have a rightful place, because if they feel like they're not connecting with the leadership, then they're going to get to a point where they check out. And once they're checked out, they're on their way out to be, they're looking for some something else and et cetera, even though they may love the work they're doing, or they may, from your standpoint, they may love the kids. It just feels like they're not in an environment that is conducive for them to thrive. And it has a direct impact on the quality of the work they're doing. Yes. And so there's a direct correlation. When, when teachers or employees are well-supported, they get innovative, right? They get creative, uh, they're passionate, and the more passionate and engaged they are, the more engaged students are. Or in the work environment, you know, the more innovative you get, you know, the, the higher the quality of the product or the service. And it's, and it's directly tied to high levels of leadership. And so what the trick and, and the issue actually comes down to is how do you assess it? How do you measure it? How do you intentionally um, ensure that it is protected and that there are really even systems in place to make sure this just gets better and better? Yes. Yeah, so we're going to dive into that. But before we dive into how do we measure those uh, KPIs, those key performance indicators, how do we do the, the benchmarks? Are there assessments that can take? Because let's, let's be honest, some people are taking the assessments, but are they truly taking the assessments? Because they may be afraid to put their truths out there because it may not be anonymous and they don't want any whiplash or anything to come back on them. But one question I did have from an education standpoint, because I, I see that a lot of teachers, and this is from the outside looking in, have left the workforce since the pandemic based on what was happening. It was, it, it was very stressful because people were forced to stay at home to homeschool their own children do online learning and et cetera. Plus, if they were a teacher, they had to manage their students online, which was a totally different environment. No one prepared them for what the new norm was going to look like. And then you had so much um, of the leaderships as well as external factors weighing down on them, asking them a bunch of questions when they're just like us, like the parents and um, people on the outside, they're just trying to figure it out themselves. So then we see that, Teachers have left the industry. They're trying to find substitutes. Substitutes may not want to work because the pay is so low, even though they may have a degree or et cetera. So what happened there trust-wise? Did we fail our education system or were we just not prepared for 
what came down the pipeline. I know it was something new, but people were giving us information ahead of time, letting us know that, hey, you should be mindful. SARS is coming. COVID is coming. And people are like, yeah, yeah, okay. And then whenever it hit us full blown, it was like everyone was scrambling. And no matter what your socioeconomic status was, no matter your level of education or whatever the case may be, we all had to hit that reset button and we all had to go through some form of pivot. Absolutely. And, and really, I think you identified two elements there and, and both were true, right? So we, we were not prepared uh, and, and certainly not prepared for the length of time that was going to be involved. You know, when we had that initial shutdown in the spring of 2020, uh, I think everyone was kind of hoping at the time, well, you know, we'll get through this and by the end of summer, you know, we'll be back to normal. Of course, that is not what happened. And uh, so, right, we, we were not prepared. And, and, you know, even you know, I think back to you know, even the you know, the advanced courses that school administrators go through. Yeah, we have you know we go through crisis planning and those types of things, but there really was nothing that had prepared administrators uh, for how to lead through this type of, of situation or pandemic. You know, for an extended period because it really was a complete you know a pivot. We had to we had to shift so very very quickly to deliver what we are doing in very, very different ways. It was very unfair to teachers uh, and to everyone. And yet, uh, you know, it was interesting. At the beginning, you saw all this love and praise on teachers, right? And that was great to hear and, and help. Um, and it was encouraging, but boy, that sure has not continued, right? And, and we have not seen things get better. And, and something else, Genesis, to keep in mind is the employment shortage it was exacerbated by the pandemic, but this is nothing new. So we have been graduating fewer and fewer education majors and te you know, qualified teachers and school administrators. No one's pursuing those jobs. Well, that's an exaggeration. Fewer and fewer people are pursuing those jobs. For example, you know, I now in you know the last 17 years, I've been doing trainings of school principals and superintendents and and I, I think of a training right before the pandemic I was doing uh, for a, a group of administrators for, uh, was sponsored by uh, University of Pennsylvania. We probably had about a hundred, uh, these are public school administrators uh, in a room, you know, and I, I said, okay, how many of you, it was your, it was your endeavor, it was your ambition when you were in college or grad school to become a school administrator? No one raises their hands, right? So, uh, Let's and, talk and, about that really quick there, because wow. you said no one raised their hands. And I wonder, is it because the what administrators and teachers do gets undervalued and underrated? Or is it tied to the monetary gain? Because they do a lot. My sister-in-law is a teacher. She teaches um, elementary. She does have a master's degree, but right now she really likes teaching um, the classroom. And I think she's actually going to shift to either writing curriculum or doing something else. I can't remember what she said, but I was like, oh my gosh, I commend you for the work that you're doing. Because even though we live in a well area, her school is, I think, a tier one school. And I had no idea that in our school district that is ranked high, that there was a tier one school with minority kids. And some of those are like rough kids. And she was telling us um, that they put the rougher kids in her classroom because they know that she can handle it. And I guess maybe because she is a foreigner and she has, she's married to um, an African-American man who identifies as that or what the case may be, but I, 
but it's like kind of disheartening to hear some of the stories that she tells me and I'm not going to share them because you know that's confidential between my sister-in-law and I and I was like oh my gosh I could not I can't even imagine doing that and then whenever you call the parents sometimes the parents aren't receptive but it's not up to the teachers to be the teachers the parents and etc and then whenever you bring that to leadership they tell you oh you can't say this you can't do that so where do the teachers feel protected if no one is listening to them I just wanted to plug that there because I was like no ham no cheese no turkey I will stick in oil and gas because even when I got laid off she's like maybe you should go into teaching like if you just do this you could become a teacher because you already have a bad I said like, mm. I, I love students, but I'm not going to tolerate disrespect because someone does not know how to manage their own child at home. But that's me. <laughs> uh, you just identified about 15, you know, uh, core issues and problems that, that have gone on. And again, the pandemic has just exposed it all the more. And um, you know, certainly the education system has been in need of reform for decades. It is now forcing it. it you know, that's the good of this. So, you know, we can get really, we can get, you know, all kind of, oh, my word, you know, the, the school system is crashing. Yeah, it is. And it's long overdue. It's, it's time to crash. It's time to reinvent. It's time to understand, again, the enormous value of teaching and of those who uh, lead and really support teachers. Now, I see the role of principals and superintendents. Yes, they're administrators, but really their job is to support teachers' success. So they're really in a, in a, you know, a support role, and they need to be valued higher than ever before. Um, but we need, to, we need to hire professionals and treat them as professionals. And when we look at the school systems around the world that are excelling, that is the paradigm they're working from. And, it, and it's, it is understanding that education is, is not best set up in a, in a, uh, a factory structure. You know, we're, we're still, traditional schools are very much still based on a model of the industrial age of over 100 years ago. And this is also why they're failing, is, you know, we're, we're not delivering um, the art form, uh, the nuances of what education really should be, which is really should be more of an apprenticeship relationship with students uh, than this idea that we're, you know, we're, we're kicking out a product you know, called education. I'm sorry, it's never been that way, um, but we've treated it that way. And, and this is where, again, uh, teachers get devalued. Um, you know, we, we need to really see just a refit of many things uh, that have brought us to this current point. And I am encouraged. There, are, there is movement finally in re-establishing uh, the value and, and building. And there's a lot of very creative things that are going on. It will create some failures. There will be some schools that try innovation and boop, that didn't work. Yeah, that, that's part of the innovation process, but let's not be scared to pursue how do we rethink what education can look like and how to deliver what is best for our students' future, not what is based on our past. Absolutely, and I completely agree with that, and this, is, this question is going to drive me into what you were talking about with the assessments and the benchmarks is, if we really think about education as a whole from a holistic standpoint and realize that every kid is going to learn differently, if we include diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, not just on the leadership front, but also on the staff front, because if they don't 
feel like they can identify with their leader, then they also feel like they're not going to necessarily survive and thrive in a conducive environment. So we have um, the kids, we have the staff, we have the leaders, and then we have diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, which is very important. And then another thing that we have is we also need the support from the children's family because the teachers are not supposed to be the one-stop shop. We need the family members to get with the teachers and the leadership in order for synergies to take place. And all of us need to come together because let's be real, these students are our future. And if we're not preparing them for success, what is our world going to look like? And we also need to be open to listening to the students because sometimes those students, they're not necessarily bad students. They may just have some stuff going on at home and they may be crying out for help. And if they don't feel like they could go to school and talk to their teachers without their parents getting in trouble or without them being reprimanded, then what type of message is that conveying to the students and do they feel like they could trust the education system? So some of those students end up leaving the education system and then we wonder why there's so many crimes or other things taking place or we, these um, kids who are becoming parents. There's so many different complexities involved in this. And I love that you're talking about trust because it goes to all levels. So let me know if that was a good point. And would you think we could lead into the benchmarking and all of the other stuff that you alluded to before, Dr. Toby? And well, I know we're, we're running on a time commitment. So whenever you need to go, um, just let me know and we'll begin to wind down. Well, let me just make a comment on, on what, again, you, you identified about 10 elements there. Sorry. <laughs> sit here for a couple of hours and unpack all of that. But one of the, the things that I have um, seen and observed in the last, especially the last 15 years, there has been a, again, a paradigm shift of, of parents and their um, their ownership of the education of their children. And, and, it's, and I believe it's not healthy. And, and we really need to re-empower parents and to understand it is primarily their risk. Now, the schools are there to partner with them. But when, when parents have a consumer mindset, you know, I'm paying my taxes, therefore you've got to produce this for my kid, or I'm paying my tuition in the private school sector. Therefore, you know, it's a, it's a, I'm paying this, therefore I should get this service. That's not how education works. It is not an over-the-counter business, right? What we know about the best um, situation for student learning and growth is a cooperative experience between home and, and the school, and in Christian education with the church even. So it, it's the community, you can even say, uh, you know, the, the, the old, it takes a village line it is true. This is where we see kids flourish the most is they've got to have a unified support network around them that's working tandemly. It's not just, oh, I paid this and you pass it off. That, that doesn't work. And then to segue to, well, well, what do we do about it? But we've got to get to the root issues. There are so many issues and so many problems. So we got to get down to, well, where do we spend our time and effort and energy and investment to make the biggest difference? And it does come down to trust. 70% of school initiatives and, and your business listeners, 70% of entrepreneurial uh, activities, 70% of business improvement initiatives fail every year. That stat has held and it's continuing. In fact, it, it, in some uh, sectors, they'll say it's even higher. 
So then you look at, well, why do, are the, all these initiatives failing? And you get into the research and what you find, it's all about execution. And then when you get into it, what is it about the execution of these, these initiatives that are failing? It comes down to leadership. And it's, it's all a lack of trusted leadership. So this is why when schools are trying to fix things or businesses are trying to fix things, if they don't first address the trust issue between the leadership and the employees, it doesn't matter what you do. It's not going to be sustainable. It's not going to work. You're skipping the central issue and the most important piece. And what I found, Genesis, and where this gets really exciting, is when, when schools and organizations take the time to assess it, to be transparent about it, to then intentionally address what weaknesses are there, and to try to fix those, those uh, issues that create distrust, and the trust level starts to build, well, it's like magic. You start seeing all these wonderful things start happening without even having, you know, those exterior initiatives, you know, like, you know, we want to increase student scores or we want to increase, you know, product development. Those things just happen when we fix the trust issues. And, and so that's why I'm so passionate about this, because uh, so many are missing that critical step. And yet when those who take the time to address it, boom, all kinds of wonderful things start happening. That is amazing. And I can hear the passion and I want to be respectful of your time, Dr. Toby. So let's jump into your book because I definitely want the audience to connect with you further offline, learn about your book, grab that book, read it. And then um, if they have any questions, we could maybe do another session after the baby and maybe do a Q&A. So uh, talk Talk to us about your book, or if there's anything else you want to say before we jump into the book, I'm going to throw you an audible. Well, uh, Trust Ed, The Bridge uh, to School Improvement. Again, it's just trusted, but with the ED uh, emphasized. So Trust Ed, uh, The Bridge to School Improvement, available on Amazon. Uh, actually, the Spanish version is about ready to be released. So currently available in Kindle and print. Um, and uh, if folks are looking to connect with me, LinkedIn, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. You can just Dr. Toby Travis, you can find me there uh, or Google me. Uh, I'm on the global school consulting site or trustedconsulting.org uh, or trusted school. If you Google my name, you're going to find me. But yeah, please pick up a copy of the book, share it with uh, teachers, administrators, but also uh, I've been getting a lot of great feedback and, and why I think Forbes picked it up and ran with it. Uh, the is resonating with business leaders. The examples in the book obviously are all education sector based, but the principles of assessing, developing trusted leadership, they're, they're universal. Amazing. And anyone can learn how to assess and develop trust. And I think, like you said, since it's universal, um, that also makes it a good book for like a book club, whether you're in the corporate sector, you're in the education sector or whatever, and then you all could bring your ideas together and talk about it. And for those of you listening who are in the business world, entrepreneurship and et cetera, maybe you could grab this book, have a book club and do some form of team building. And then maybe you could do a exercise around trust to make sure that your team feels like you trust them as well as vice versa and then kind of see how that goes maybe that's just an idea for those of you listening um dr toby what what's your call to action for the audience today outside of grabbing a copy of your book do you have a challenge for them or anything that can jumpstart that spark or ignite those flames <laughs> well there's all kinds of kind of uh 
practical steps that I talk about in the book. Um, one of the, the, the steps that has been resonating with a lot of folks, uh, especially as I'm, I'm consulting or, or mentoring uh, a leader, is pull out your employee handbook and start scanning through your policies and see how many of these policies were created based on assumption of distrust. And then talk with your team about how could we modify this policy to assume we're gonna trust our employees. Because what we've learned through the research is the more we extend trust, the more we are trusted. And one of my common challenges is if you've gotta have so many policies in place to keep your employees accountable, well, then you've got to ask if you hired the right employee, right? If you don't trust them to do the work, well, why do you employ them? And what we have found when there are high levels of trust, it's actually cheaper to run your business. It's more cost-effective to operate your school in, again, in work environments where there's high levels of trust. So a call to action might be, yeah, but let's, let's pull out our policy manual and just, just spend some time looking through, put on the lens of, okay, what is... What is the assumption of trust in this policy? And look and consider how you might be able to, to increase the level of trust and relationship in your workplace. Um, other, you know, it's, if I can be of help, uh, that, you know, my side gig is, is consulting and mentoring. And if I can help anyone who, you know, this resonates, we've got trust issues in our workplace or in our school, and we need some guidance. This is what I love to do, passionate about it, and uh, I'm very, very, um, well, fortunate to uh, work with some amazing and gifted people who are being very transparent and humble in that uh, they recognize, yeah, we, we've either blown it or we've, we've inherited a situation where there's uh, levels where trust has been broken. How do we fix it? Well, the good news is we can fix it, we, but we need to be intentional about it. Amazing. And thank you for sharing that, Dr. Toby. Audience, all of Dr. Toby's contact information will be in the show notes. So his website, and he's primarily on LinkedIn. So I will link that. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, and follow. We're on 40 plus platforms audio. And this recording will also be in a video format on our YouTube channel. So you can find that by going to GEMS. G-E-M-S with Genesis Amaris Kemp. And lastly, but not least, where would I be without my supporters? You know I only think about you. We are currently ranked in the top 2% globally out of 2.8 million podcasts, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without you. We are a community, and this is your show just as much as it's my show. So thank you for supporting the subject matter experts that I bring into the community, as well as our mission to drive content that is educational, inspirational, and motivational, while we also bridge the gap of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. We are looking for brand sponsors. Spaces are limited. This is paid sponsorship. So you can find more info by going to genesisamarskemp.net or sending me a personalized email to genesisamarskemp at gmail.com. So until the next segment, next guest, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing day. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at 
GEMS, G-E-M-S, WIT, W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcasts.